Welcome to Vine and Branches, brought to you by Kehilat Sar Shalom Messianic Congregation. Yeshua, our Jewish Messiah, told us that He is the vine and we are the branches. And did you know that all of Scripture was written by Jewish people? But since it was written, it has been translated over and over. And with each translation, it was taken further from the language and the culture it was given. So with each translation, part of the meaning was lost. Join us as we restore a Jewish understanding to the Word of God and become true branches of our Jewish Messiah. Welcome to Vine and Branches. Today we begin a study of the book of Hebrews that we taught in our weekly services at Zar Shalom. I believe the book of Hebrews offers the most complete and succinct revelation of the work of Messiah in the Bible. Let's listen. So this is week seven in our study of the book of Hebrews. It finds us in chapter two. In verse 14, the author has just told us that God put everything under Yeshua, that there's nothing in all of creation that is not subject to Yeshua. He told us that Messiah was decreased from life with the Father in glory to be lower than angels so that he could relate to fallen man and that fallen man could relate to him. And in doing so, he would be able to suffer death for everyone and bring many sons to glory. By being decreased, he's able to call us brothers, becoming our goel in Hebrew or in English, our kinsman redeemer. And so we pick up in verse 14 and it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And so the author makes sure that we understand that Yeshua shared in our flesh and blood our humanity. When Yeshua came into the world, he was fully man. But wait a minute, Stan, when we were in lesson three, you said he was God. Well, I didn't say that. The book of Hebrews said that. And I agree. But the writer, because the writer quoted, remember, he quoted Psalm 45, as he said, about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You see, the writer wants us to understand that even God called Yeshua God. And then he quoted Psalm 110, and it said, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. You see, he wanted us to know that David called Yeshua Lord. The point being, he's gone out of his way to make sure that we know that Yeshua created all things. And that the Lord, the Father himself, calls him God. And that his earthly father calls him Lord. And not just that, but that he has returned to the throne with the Father. He's at his right hand. And so the writer wants us to know that Yeshua is deity. How can he be God and man? Is the writer double-minded? No, he wants us to know that Yeshua is God. He and the Father and the Spirit are, of God are one. He is and was eternally with the Father and the Spirit of God. They were at creation. The us and let us make man in our image was the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. But in order to make atonement, in order to redeem man and make many sons... 
he became lower. He became as man because, and he's going to make this clear as we continue, it was the only way that we could be redeemed, that he could be a redeemer. He could, he could not do it as creator. He could not do it as an angel. He could only redeem man by being decreased to the same level and suffer the same temptations as man. You know, I hear people argue all the time about the nature of Yeshua, the nature of God. But the fact is, it's not worth arguing over because it's beyond our comprehension. This is a mystery that's beyond our comprehension. Until the day Yeshua returns and you are changed, you're never going to understand the nature of God. That is, if you'll even be able to understand on that day. He's so far above our understanding. His ways are so beyond our ways that we have to accept him. We have to accept who Yeshua is and the Father and the Spirit by faith. The author says that he became human, that he might by his death destroy him who holds the power over death. Did God die? No, Yeshua was a man. He became a man. He was not a God-man hybrid. He was not God. He was human decreased to be lower than the angels. That's what the author said. Then declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection. Do you understand? No? Well, neither do I, but I take it by faith because that's what Scripture declares. That's what I said. You're not going to understand. Anyone who tells you they can understand the nature of God or the relationship of Yeshua with the Father and the Spirit has merely deluded himself because you can't understand. He's too far above. He's too far beyond our comprehension. I can tell you that the disciples didn't understand. This is why Thomas had to touch the holes in his hands and in his side. Paul tells us the same thing. He says Yeshua's death and resurrection are a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. What we can understand is what we're told, that he was God. He was with God at creation, that he was decreased to be a human, humanity, decreased to humanity to save humanity, and that he was restored by the power of the resurrection, and now he shares the throne of God. That's all we can understand because that's what we've been told. Anything else is going to be your imagination. So again, he emphasizes that Yeshua shared in the humanity of humankind. He's leaving no possibility that Yeshua didn't become fully human. He was not God dressed up in human garb. He became fully human so that he might share in our fallenness and yet overcome. And by his overcoming the temptations of this life and then his death, he overcame death. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but right away... One has to ask, how can death overcome death? How can something as final as death defeat death itself? Well, Yeshua speaks of this in his ministry. You know, he was questioned one night by Nicodemus. In chapter 3 of John, in verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, lifted up a snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. I read this and I, the first thing I thought, I wonder if Nicodemus understood what Messiah was saying here. And we don't know, but we should understand because how many times have we gone through the Torah portion and looked at this passage? Because Yeshua is referring to Numbers chapter 21. The people in Numbers chapter 21 are grumbling against God and against his leader, Moses. And in verse 4 it says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. 
But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and Moses and said, we have, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. And they bit the people and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes from us. So Moses prayed for the people and the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake, put it on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked at the bronze snake and lived. And so what do we have here? We have people that are grumbling about the manna and water. You know, they have food. They have water. If you just go back to chapter 20, Moses gave them water from a rock. But here's the key. It says they grew impatient. The Lord sends death into the camp in the form of these venomous snakes. The people are bitten and many died. And many more are dying. Because once you are bitten, you don't recover. They don't have an antidote. You were bitten. And then over a period of time, you're going to die an agonizing death. And so they cry out to Moses that they sinned against the Lord. They know the consequences of that sin is death. They cry out to be saved from death that is among them. And that it has bitten them. And the Lord says, make an image of a bronze snake. Of that very thing that bit them. The source of their death and put it on a pole. And if they look at it, at this death on a pole, in faith they'll be healed. And so Yeshua draws Nicodemus' attention to this enigma of death conquering death by comparing this incident to his life and death. That through his death, we would, he and we would defeat death. Just as they gazed in faith at the symbol of death on a pole, Yeshua tells us that if we look to him who was put to death on a pole in faith, death will lose its sting. And the author tells us that he just did not give us victory over death, but he actually destroyed the one who had power over death. The one who stood before each man and recounted their transgressions. He said so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. You know, you can liken this. I was trying to think of what we could liken this to. You can liken it to be in debtor's prison. You know, we don't have that any longer. But we can read about it. It used to be that if you owed somebody a large debt, you could be cast into prison until the debt was paid. Well, how are you going to pay a debt if you're in prison, right? Of course, that didn't happen too often. So you get into debtor's prison and you were a slave because you never got out. We, however, through faith, have a kinsman redeemer that can settle the account. He pays the debt. And so you must be released from prison, or in our case, we're released from death. So the one who held the power of death no longer has the power over those who look in faith to Messiah Yeshua. The devil has had the power over death from the very beginning. He deceived Adam and Hava, Eve. He deceived Adam, and and Paul tells us this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah who is the image of God. You see, the adversary is still deceiving. The adversary of God uses deception and the deception is so good that it actually blinds the eyes of men. However, there is one who couldn't be deceived. You know, the story of Yeshua in the wilderness is there to teach us one thing. Yeshua could not be deceived. Yeshua overcame the deceptions of the adversary. And that too is good news for us. Because through Yeshua, indwelling our hearts, 
we can see through the deception of the adversary as well. So the adversary has lost his power over the people of God. Yeshua not only paid the penalty of our sin, but through his indwelling our lives, he gave us the power. He gave us power over the deceiver. We can see his deceptions. And if you slip and you fall victim to his deception, the debt is paid. The spirit convicts you of your sin and we have the power then to go and sin no more. This is how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5. He says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command, as did Adam, who was the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift that came by the grace of one man, Yeshua the Messiah, overflow to many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift follows many trespasses and brings justification. For if by one trespass, or if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life of the one man, Yeshua the Messiah. We not only receive forgiveness for sin, but we receive the power to overcome temptation, future temptation, because the righteousness of Yeshua abides within us. It indwells us. The power to overcome the adversary. Yeshua became like us so that he might overcome and make us overcomers as well. And notice that he says not only death, but the fear of death. You know, there's no person alive that doesn't fear death or at least feared death before they came to know Yeshua because death is final. We watch our loved ones die. We never get to see them again in this life. And so we concoct fables like, oh, they're not really dead. They're going to come back as a dog or a cat (laughs) or another human being. You see, reincarnation and the like are simply fables to ease the fear we have of death. But if you know Yeshua, there's nothing to fear because you know that death had no hold on him. God raised him from the dead and we have the promise that he'll raise us from the dead. So you go to sleep for a little while. Next he says in verse 16, he says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Yeshua didn't lower himself to the level of angels. He lowered himself lower than the angels. He had to become like the ones he was going to redeem. If it were angels he was going to redeem, then he would have become like an angel. But he became a man. You know, I've actually been asked by people over the years, uh, can angels repent and be saved? Well, the answer is not by Yeshua. In Yeshua, there is no redemption for fallen angels because he didn't become an angel. He became a man to save men, which is exactly the point that he makes. I want to read this in the Young's Literal because it it hits it a little, uh, it hits it right on the, the nail right on the head. It's a little closer to the Greek. For doubtless of angel he doth not lay hold, but of the seed of Abraham he layeth hold. You see, the Greek says that he didn't take hold of angels, but he took hold of the seed of Abraham. And what does he mean by takes hold? Well, we're going to look at some other places this word is used, this word for take hold. In the Greek, I put it up here for you, it's epilambonamai. And it means to lay hold of, to take possession of, to rescue from peril, to help, succor. It, 
It is a word used in the sense of to rescue, to help, to give support, aid. It's a word that was used by Matthew in the story of Peter walking on the water. Matthew 14, verse 29 says, Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and he came toward Yeshua. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me! And immediately Yeshua reached out his hand and took hold of him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? You see, Peter loses faith. He begins to sink. The fear of death grips him and he cries out to Yeshua. And Yeshua takes hold of him. Just as when we cry out to Yeshua, he takes hold of us and rescues us. It's a, it's a word that's used by Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And notice here it's used again. It's coupled with faith. Through faith. The same faith that Abraham had. We become the seed of Abraham. And Yeshua takes hold of us. And we inherit eternal life. We take hold of eternal life. It's used again in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Down in verse 18 it says. They that do good. That they be rich in good works ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they, lay, that they may take hold of eternal life. See, that's the same sense the writer of Hebrews uses the word. That Yeshua didn't take hold of angels to save angels. No, he came. He wasn't an angel. But he laid hold of the seed of Abraham to help, to give aid to the seed of Abraham. Why does he say the seed of Abraham? Is he speaking only of the Jewish people? No. He's saying that he came to bring completion to the promise given to Abraham. And what was the promise? That through Abraham's seed, all nations, all men will be blessed. You see, Paul gives us clarity to this issue in Galatians. He says in chapter 3, verse 6, he says, Consider Abraham. He believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Then understand that those who believe are children of Abraham, are the seed of Abraham, in other words. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The author is saying that Yeshua became like a man that he might take hold of men. But he didn't just mean men. If he would have meant just men, he would have said the seed of Adam. But he said the seed of Abraham. And who are the seed of Abraham? Well, Paul just told us. You see, you become the seed of Abraham by having the same faith that Abraham had. And Abraham's faith is so perfectly displayed in Abraham's words to Isaac in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 6. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. He himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up. And said to his father Abraham, Father! Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Reasonable question, right? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You see, Abraham had faith that God was going to provide the lamb for the burnt offering. And when you have faith that God provided the lamb, the lamb takes hold of you, giving you aid and support. And next, the author goes on to the very reason he had to be made like men. In verse 17, he says, For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful high and faithful high priest 
in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, the author says he had to be made like us to become a merciful high priest. You see, a high priest that could relate to us, that he wouldn't look at us with contempt and judgment, as we so often do when we look at our brother's sin, but that he could relate mercifully and compassionately to the temptations that we encounter in life and that we succumb to. He didn't have to succumb to them, to those temptations, but he knew them. He was tempted in every way. We can understand this by looking at rulers and their subjects. A perfect example is Rehoboam. He was Solomon's son and heir to the throne of Israel after Solomon. And Rehoboam never knew. He never experienced the plight of the people, having grown up privileged in Solomon's household. Having not known the plight of the people and how hard they had worked for Solomon to build the temple and all these palaces for his wives. You see, he couldn't empathize with the people. And so when they asked for the burden to be lightened, he couldn't relate. He couldn't sympathize. And so his answer to the request of the people was, My father laid a heavy yoke on you. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'm going to scourge you with scorpions. This is one who couldn't relate. But if we look to another ruler in Israel, we're going to find something quite different. The people are in the wilderness. Moses is absent. They make a golden calf. Violated the command of God. Moses, while he was certainly upset and disappointed with the people, he didn't look on the people with contempt or judgment. But having walked with them throughout their journey, he has sympathy toward his brothers. And so what does he do? Exodus chapter 32 and verse 30 says, The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made for themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, blot me out of the book you have written. He says to the people, perhaps I can make atonement. And the word there is kafar, it means to cleanse, to disannul, forgive. Perhaps he can cleanse, he can go to the Lord and cleanse the sin. How does he do that? How does he offer to do that? He offers By offering his own life. He had not succumbed to the sin that they had succumbed to. He was able to offer himself in their stead. In the same way, Yeshua did not succumb to the sin and the temptation that we have succumbed to. And by his death, he can make atonement for our sin. Had he not become as we are, had he remained as God and creator, he would not have been able to relate to us or to our temptation. It's kind of like walk a mile in my shoes sort of thing. Yeshua came so that he might be like Moses who had walked with the people from Egypt and so Moses could have compassion on their plight. Verse 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. The author tells us that when he was tested, the NIV uses the word tempted, but it could just as easily be rendered tested. He is able to help those who are tested as well because he too suffered the same testing. Yeshua is able to help. He's able to give it not just because he was man and can give help to man as man to man, but that he overcame these testings so he can give us help to overcome. Not just that, but if we fail the testing, again, he's not able to just help us man to man. We can get that anywhere. But he can help us redeemer to man and forgive our sin. You know, sadly, there's a chapter break here uh, as we go into chapter three. But uh, I hate some of these chapter breaks because the guy's in the middle of a thought here, you know, and we, we kind of miss it. He says, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, 
Fix your thoughts on Yeshua, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Yeshua has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. You see, we just use as our example Moses. And Moses said, if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. What did God say to Moses' uh, intercession? In chapter, in chapter 32, verse 33, it says, The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because they did because of what they did with the calf Aaron made. You see, Moses' plea, while it was of the same nature, as Yeshua's plea, in that Yeshua could relate to the people, just as Yeshua becoming a man could relate to the people. However, Moses' life was not such that he could atone for the people. Vine and Branches is brought to you by Kehilat Sar Shalom Messianic Congregation located in St. Louis Park. Join us each Sunday on KKMS 980 at 9 a.m. Or better yet, why not come out to visit and learn more of the Jewish roots of your faith? Phone us at 952-405-6760 for service times. Or visit our website, rabbiyeshua.com. That is R-A-B-B-I-Y-E-S-H-U-A.com. As we have many teachings and articles on the site to help you restore a Jewish understanding of the Word of God. So until next Sunday at this time, may the God of Abraham and His Messiah grant you peace. Thank you.